Today's scripture reading will be from 1 John chapter 3, verses 24 uh, to chapter 4, verses 6. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This morning, I, I want to I want to open up before I delve into this passage, just with a word of prayer. This, this is a strong, strong portion of Scripture, and the enemy doesn't want us to hear it, doesn't want us to understand it, and uh, we've all already welcomed the Holy Spirit into our presence, and so we're just giving in the whole message and the service to Him. Father, we thank you that we have the victory. We thank you that you have given us a victory over the enemy, over the devil, over Satan, over the demonic spirits. And Father, this is a passage that John is hitting on that is very crucial for us as believers to understand. The enemy doesn't want us to understand. He doesn't want us to hear it. He doesn't want us to know what it's all about. And I would refuse any, any confusion that would come in in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just pray the Holy Spirit would open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you have to say, to hear what your word has to say. And Father, we're going to give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, throughout 1 John, and we're getting back into 1 John as we... Start in chapter 4 and end with chapter 5. Um, John's been laying out very clearly the difference between those who love Jesus and therefore are directed by the Holy Spirit and those who don't love Jesus who are therefore directed by the devil. In God's economy, there are only two realms, <laughs> there are only two forces there's good and there's evil, there's right and there is wrong. There is truth and there is falsehood. There is light and there is darkness. There is God and there is Satan. It's really very simple. You are either for God or you're against Him. You are either for Christ or against Him. And here as we start chapter 4, John is calling for discernment. He's calling for discernment. In verse 2, he says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. And the last statement in verse 6 really sums it up. There, this is how we recognize the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of falsehood. Now, the majority of my message this morning is going to be kind of introduction, working on verse 1 for the rest of it, which we'll finish next week. 
Uh, but it's critical for us to be able to discern between the truth that comes from the Spirit of God and the error that comes from other spirits. The Bible is full of these warnings, both in the Old and the New Testaments. The reasons we are continually warned against error and the corruption that comes from it is because that is exactly the strategy of the kingdom of darkness. God reveals a truth in the world, and Satan counters it with lies. That's a great spiritual battle. If you want to know, in a nutshell, what spiritual warfare, what warfare is, excuse me, it's actually very simple. It's a battle between truth and error. Spiritual warfare is a battle for the mind. It's a battle for the heart. In the armor uh, and weapons of spiritual warfare that Paul lays out for us in Ephesians chapter 6, he starts with God's truth and ends with God's truth. We've got to know the truth. Stand firm then with what? The belt of truth, which is God's word. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. That's what's guarding our heart. And with your feet uh, fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, uh, uh, again, guarding your heart, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, guarding our mind, and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit. Guard your heart, guard your mind. Why? Because, as Jeremiah puts it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The psalmist says, create in me a clean heart, O God. That should be our regular prayer because it's only God who can do that. And renew a right spirit within me. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, set your minds on things above, not on things that are in the earth. Proverbs 4 exhorts us to keep your heart with all vigilance. It's, 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 a, it's a job we have to do. Keep it with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Take every thought captive, Paul tells us. Guard your minds, guard your hearts. Spiritual warfare is a battle for the heart, the battle for the mind. It's a battle between truth and error. And if we don't know God's word, if we don't know God's truth, we have no armor to put on because all the armor in the passage that Paul was talking about is buckled to the belt of truth around your waist. And if you don't have that, there's nothing to put the rest of the armor on. Nor do we have a weapon with which to fight because God's truth is a sword. That's our weapon. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, when he said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, On the contrary, they, the weapons uh, that we have from the Lord, they have divine power to demolish, strong word, demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How do we do that? With the knowledge of God, with God's truth. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ by bringing our thoughts, by making our thoughts submit to God's truth. Every thought that is contrary to Christ, every thought that is contrary to the Word of God must be torn down. Paul says must be demolished. That's an aggressive attitude. 
You've got to take it to it. And they must be brought into obedience to Christ, to God's Word. And the battle between truth and error calls for discernment. That's what John is calling for here in our passage this morning. You remember when Satan came into the Garden of Eden in the perfect environment that God created? When he approached Eve, he basically revealed the strategy that he uses in spiritual warfare. And folks, if you know what the strategy of the enemy is in any battle, then you can counterattack and you can usually gain the victory. So what was Satan's strategy? Well, he he attacked God's word, and he did it in three ways. First of all, he created doubt. You remember we we did a whole series on on this uh, phrase. He said to Eve, did God really say? Doubt. You see, one of the ways you attack the word of God is by creating doubt. Getting someone to doubt that this is true or that this is really what God said or what he meant or this is what God meant by what he said. Do you remember what Eve's response was? Quote, God did say, she's responding back to Satan's question, God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. That's the second thing Satan does in attacking God's word. He distorts it. He distorts it or actually makes people distort it. You see, God never said you can't touch it. Ah, Pastor, you're being really picky now. No. She exaggerated. She added to what God actually said to make it sound unreasonable. Satan himself may have planted that thought in her mind because it sure sure didn't come from God. He twists and distorts God's word to make it sound harsh, unreasonable, unloving. That then makes it so easy for him to go to the third stage of his strategy, and that is to deny what God has said. Satan jumped right in on Eve with ridicule. God said you're going to die? Seriously? You're not going to die. God lied. And he literally denied what God said. And I quote, you will not certainly die. He called God a liar. That's the strategy, causing people to doubt what God said, causing people to distort what God said, and causing people to flatly deny what God said. The three D's. Doubt, distort, deny. Remember those. Doubt, distort, deny. The other thing we need to understand is that it's not a human strategy. It is a strategy of demonic spirits. John says in verse 1 of chapter 4, do not believe every spirit. Why? Because this is their strategy. Every religious idea, every religious ideology has a spiritual source, and there are only two spiritual worlds. There is a spirit of God, and there are all the other spirits. Demonic spirits, of whom Satan, of course, is one and the leader of Satan and his spirits wage a persistent and endless counter-campaign against the truth of God, pushing and promoting all kinds of deception. Their desires to make people ignorant of, of the truth, to make them doubt the truth, to make them distort the truth, to make them flatly deny the truth. That's why the Bible is loaded with this level of conflict. 
uh, that goes on all the time. You can go all the way back to Moses, who is passionately exhorting the Israelites to serve God and not forget his precepts. Don't forget the truth. Or David, or excuse me, the prophets saying that they needed to be obedient to God and his word and not follow idols. They have to come back to the truth. David gave the same counsel to Israel and in 1 Chronicles 28 to his son Solomon. Stick to the truth. Or whether it was Christ himself saying, beware of false Christs and false prophets in Matthew 24. Or whether it was Paul saying to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Throughout Scripture, God's truth has been under assault by Satan's lies. And this is important for us to understand because it's really the critical point of this passage that John is presenting to us this morning. This scripture traces all this deceit to a deeper source, and it's not a human source. It's traced back to demonic spirits who deliver this to people who become their earthly communicators. That's how they work. Paul, writing in Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, says, The Holy Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow what? Follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's what they're following. That's what they are giving out. Why are they abandoning the faith? Because they begin listening to the doubt, the distortion, and the lies. Paul then tells us there in verse 2, the means by which the deceiving spirits get their message across. 1 Timothy 4.2, such teachings came th- uh, come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a, high, a hot iron. This identifies, identifies the human liars, the human false teachers, false prophets, and yes, unfortunately, false pastors being used by demonic spirits, but usually having no idea that they're being used. Again, it's either from the Spirit of God or it's from demonic spirits. One commentator wrote, you cannot consider any attack on Scripture, any assault that causes people to doubt or distort or deny the truth of God to be benign or even to be human for that matter, This passage emphatically links false doctrine with demonism as its source. Doctrines of demons devised by deceitful or seducing spirits and propagated by hypocritical liars who are unconscionable. Consciences that are seared like with a hot iron. Listen to what James has to say in his letter. Remember, all being inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? James chapter 3. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. There are only two kinds of wisdom. There's a wisdom from above that's described in the next verse in in verse 17, James 3. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, says James, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers, using this wisdom from heaven, who sow in peace, reap a harvest of 
Righteousness, not unrighteousness. That's the wisdom of God and has all those qualities, all those virtues, and it produces righteous fruit. The other wisdom is earthly. It's, it's unspiritual because it's also demonic, James says. Any view lifted up and set against the knowledge of God has a spiritual source. The views that are being perpetrated upon our society today that are contrary to God's word, views like homosexuality, genderism, abortion, disorder, mayhem, destruction, wokeism, all fly in the face of scriptural truth. People say, oh, that's, that's only human pastors. It's just, just what people believe. No, it's not. James says it's unspiritual. In fact, it's demonic. There are some of the views, these are some of the views that Paul's talking about, pretensions that set itself up against the knowledge of God. He says, take them captive. He says, demolish them because they come from seductive spirits. Those who propagate such wisdom are people who are merely tools which those seducing spirits use to propagate the lies against the truth of God. Again, from a commentary, I quote, Behind the human is the demonic. Behind the earthly and the natural is the demonic. That teacher is only a mouthpiece for seductive spirits. Now, think about this a minute. Take James' description of someone who denies the truth as being someone being influenced, pushed, encouraged by the demonic, and place that description over the world. And the vast majority of people in the world are then under the full influence of the lies of seducing spirits. Why? Because they don't know Jesus, they don't love Jesus, they deny Jesus. They reject Jesus. That's extreme, Pastor. How can you say that? That's just unloving. That's insulting. I'm just conveying what Scripture already tells us, folks. Satan is a god of this age. Scripture is very clear about that. He is a prince of this world. He rules over people in the world because they have bought into his lies. As we come into this next election cycle. We need to be thinking about this. Think about the agendas that are being pushed. Compare the agendas with God's Word. We cannot not do that. Don't be complicit in Satan's schemes. Paul says, take every thought captive. This includes political agendas, no matter what side you may be on. Take every agenda captive and do what with it? Make it obedient to Christ. Make it obedient to Christ. Every agenda that goes against God's Word, we are to reject and to reject those who push it. We are not to be complicit with Satan's schemes. Paul is very clear about, about that in Ephesians 2. They have followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Who's that spirit? It's Satan. Gratifying the cravings of their flesh and following its desires and thoughts, they are by nature deserving of wrath. And we should have no part of that. Why? Because we, by God's grace, he continues on in that passage, have been saved out of that. That's not who we are any longer. We've been brought from death to life. We are now created in Christ to do good. We are no longer under the domination of Satan. We are now under the lordship of Christ. That should mean something to us. 
Satan uses inanimate objects, often called idols. He uses philosophies. He uses ideas, concepts, inspired dreams, anything he can to deceive people and draw them away from the truth of God's Word. Anything other than the truth, any ideology, any philosophy, any theory, any viewpoint, any agenda, any religion other than the truth is demonic. People call idols gods. Just because they call them gods doesn't make them a god. Way back in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7, Moses, in giving instruction about proper worship, says this, They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols. The Greek actually is referring to uh, idols made in the image of a goat who are demon-possessed. Demon-possessed goat images to whom they prostitute themselves. Creating a goat god didn't make that goat a god. All it did was give opportunity for demons to be worshipped. They were selling their soul to the demonic in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17, it says that the Israelites sacrificed to false gods. The Greek actually says malignant demons. They sacrificed to malignant demons, which are not God, it goes on to say, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. So any form of religion other than the truth is a demonic operation. Any world religion, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, you name it. Any religion with animistic, uh, with animism as as a basis anywhere, worshiping of of spirits, any form of pseudo-Christianity, the cults that are out there, all are demonically inspired. Why? Because it's either from the Spirit of God or it's from demons. There's no middle ground. And all through history, Satan has used anything he could to draw people away from worshiping God, to turn and worship him instead. He's even used so-called science to turn people against God. He's used education and the pursuit of education as a means to turn people away from God's Word. People have become so much better educated today, right? We're much more sophisticated. And we can't believe the truth of the Bible, When we were in India, there were people who actually worshipped the God of education and the God of science. Satan and his spirits are using any means possible, all different approaches that are possible to seduce people away from God and God's truth and to Him. Sometimes atheism, sometimes agnosticism, sometimes polytheism, cults, idols, perversions of Christianity, whatever the form. These are the deceptions of the devil. And he's very clever. He is very clever. He'll adjust and adapt those deceptions to the situation in which people find themselves. If you grew up in a country familiar with Christianity, he he exposes you to, to perverted forms of Christianity. If you grew up in another country not exposed to Christianity, he will seduce you by whatever religion dominates that area. Scripture calls them destructive heresies. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They will secretly introduce destructive... You know, I looked up the word heresy, 
And the definition that the dictionary gave was an opinion or a doctrine at variance with established religious beliefs. An opinion or doctrine at variance with established religious beliefs. It doesn't even have to be an idea, opinion, belief, or doctrine that is totally contrary to the truth. It just has to be at variance, slightly off. If you think of two, two roads, almost parallel, they're really close, and they're close. You go 10 miles, you go 100 miles, you go 200 miles. And all of a sudden, you're way off. There's no connection between the two at all. Verse 2 says, Many will follow their indecent. The Greek actually says spiritually destructive. Many will follow their spiritually destructive behavior, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemeo, will be blasphemed, spoken evil of, maligned. That's the strategy in the nutshell. You start with a destructive heresy that's slightly off track, and you attack the truth. Satan tried to do that with Jesus himself, if you'll remember. He tempted Jesus out in the wilderness. He even used portions of scriptures to make it sound spiritual and make it sound really good. Scripture teaches us that the Word of God whether written or in person, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It is the immovable rock upon which we stand, upon which we base our life. It does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what has Satan tried to do over the centuries? By using hypocritical liars, false prophets, false teachers, false pastors... People who say they believe in God, people who say they follow the church, whatever that may mean, these people represent seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And what do they do? They attack the authority of Scripture. They attack its inerrancy. They attack its inspiration. They attack its true interpretation. If you affirm the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, they attack the virgin birth. If you hold to the sinless life of Jesus Christ, some will try to attack that. Over the years, there are those who have tried to say Jesus had an affair with Mary Magdalene. There are others that try to distort Jesus' relationship with John as a homosexual relationship. If you want to affirm the sovereignty of God, people will come along and attack that. There is out there something called openness theology. I don't know if you've heard that term. Uh, other terms used for the same things, open theism or free will theism. This is an attempt to explain the conundrum that we, with our puny little earthly human minds, have in understanding the foreknowledge of God in relationship to the free will of man. Now, that's, that's kind of a conundrum sometimes that we have a hard time trying to peg. And the argument of open theism basically is that human beings are truly free. We have all the free will that we need. And if God absolutely knew the future, human beings could not truly be free. Therefore, God doesn't know absolutely everything about the future. Open theism holds that the future is not knowable. Therefore, God knows everything that can be known, but He doesn't know the future. That's, been, that's being purported in our schools and in our, uh, in our churches. That, that, of course, flies in the face of all Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. 
with hundreds of prophecies about the events of the future that have all come to pass in minute detail. It flies in the face of Scripture like Psalm 139, which says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. How could God predict the intricate details in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ if He doesn't know the future? How could God in any way guarantee our eternal salvation if He doesn't know what the future holds? The truth of salvation through Christ by grace alone is attacked by works theology, right? I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm a kind person. I give to charity. God will accept me. He'll, he'll think I'm okay. The major religion of India always lead to God. And as we saw in one of the graphs of the so-called evangelicals of today, about 50% believe that all ways lead to God, not just Jesus. That's Hinduism. When we were in India, my wife and I, we were visiting a family one evening. They proudly showed all the different pictures of all their different idols, their different gods that they worshipped. And they were very pleased to point out that in the middle of all those, they had a picture of Jesus too. They had added him as equal to all the rest. Just one more God. Folks, the adage is very true that if Jesus is not Lord of all, Jesus is not Lord at all. This is nothing new. This was happening 2,000 years ago. That's why John was writing about it into the fellowship of believers with which John was familiar and to whom he wrote, came these lying teachers energized by doctrines of demons, and they spread doubt and distortion and denial. And in the end, people were being deceived, and they were pulling, being pulled away from the truth. They were convincing people that they had the higher, more elevated, the secret knowledge. That's, what's, that, that's exactly what's happening in our society today. I mean, we've got so much more knowledge, Right? I mean, 2,000 years more knowledge. Obviously, we know better now. Just look at the science, right? Believe the science. Look at the advances in technology. Our education is so much more sophisticated. We really need to update our Bible to catch up with the times. Words actually spoken. Paul says they disguise themselves as messengers of light. and Probably actually think they are. But in actuality, they are messengers of darkness. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. What does that look like? What is a servant of righteousness? What comes to your mind when you think of a servant of righteousness? A pastor, right? There are many that disguise themselves. And John says at the end of verse 6 of our passage that we have to recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is critical because salvation depends upon what you know to be true and therefore believe. The most important thing that happens in the church is the promotion of the truth. Jesus himself said that's why he was born. In John 18, verse 37, he states very clearly, For this purpose I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Why was that his purpose? 
Because Satan had usurped the world and he had usurped the truth and had come with his deceiving and lying ways and distorted the truth. And Jesus came to rectify that and bring the light back into the dark world. So we preach the truth to counter deception and outright lies. And to sugarcoat the truth, to keep it from being offensive, is just another way of being deceptive. Satan loves it when we sugarcoat the truth. Then people can continue living their lives in sin and still feel good about themselves. It's really very simple to understand the battle that's going on in the world. It's a battle of the truth and error and lies. And the more truth you know, the more important you're going to be in the battle and the bigger weapon you're going to have in your hand. Paul writing to Timothy told him to guard the treasure. Guard the treasure. Jude in verse 3 says, contend for, fight for the faith that was once for all entrusted to whom? To us. To us. To God's holy people. God entrusted his truth to us, folks. We need to guard that. Fight for it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It goes on to see, keep, say, uh, keep your mouth, for, uh, excuse me, keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. On whom? On Christ? On His Word? Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Guard your heart. It's another way of saying guard your mind where the battle rages. Why is it so important to be constantly on guard? Because Satan is constantly prowling around looking for someone whom he can devour. And if we don't have that truth, he will devour us. John, back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 21, said, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lies come from the truth, the truth of God. He's, he, he's saying, I'm calling you back to the truth. You've already heard the truth. You know the truth. Why are you getting off track here? Come back to the truth. Stick to the truth. Don't be sucked in by the lies. This battle has been raging since John's day 2,000 years ago and continues today. It's gotten inside of what we used to know as, quote, evangelicalism. Can't use that word for myself anymore. That's all introduction. Let's look at chapter 4 of our text. John gives us some criteria by which we can discern the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. He gives us a command to test, the need to test, and the next Sunday we're going to be looking at the way to test. The command is in verse 1, and it comes in two parts. First, he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. That's a command. Don't be gullible. Do not be gullible. Don't believe every spirit, no matter how good it sounds and how spiritual it sounds and how lovely it sounds. 
And we need to take this in context of what John is talking about. At the end of chapter 3, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And I had Luke purposely read the last verse of chapter 3 before reading, uh, uh, getting into chapter 4. And he's saying in verse 24, the last verse of that chapter, this is how we know that He lives in us, that Christ lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gives us. We know it. By the Spirit, He gives us. Then immediately, He writes in verse 1 of chapter 4, His very next sentence, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe that every spirit is the Holy Spirit. You hear people say today, Oh, I'm listening for the Spirit of God to speak to me. That's really dangerous. Really dangerous. If you want to hear the Spirit of God speak, open the Bible. He's already spoken. That's where he spoke, and that's from where he speaks. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It's already written. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is alive and active. The Word of God, the Bible, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And in John 16, verse 8, And He, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. And I just feel that there are so many people that use the name of the Holy Spirit in vain. Have you ever thought about that? The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit told me, God told me, you know, when we were in the Ivory Coast, I had one of our church people come to our our door one day and said, Last night, God told me that you were to give me an X amount of money. I said, really? God hasn't said anything to me about that. I'm sorry. (laughs) John says, don't listen to every spirit. Stop believing every spirit. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Satan disguises himself. We read that already. He masquerades as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants are also masquerade as servants of righteousness. We should be like the Bereans. We should be like the Bereans that Paul wrote about in Acts chapter 17, describing them as people who are more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they receive the world with eagerness, and we need to do that examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Examining the Scriptures. John is saying, be skeptical. If something doesn't sound quite right, check out what they're saying for yourself. Study Scripture and compare. Don't go on emotions. Don't go on some principle that you you may have settled upon. Get back to Scripture. Check out Scripture. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not going to say something contrary to what He's already said in Scripture. Someone once asked me a few years ago, why, why do you usually only quote from older theologians? <laughs> it would be better to use some of the more up-to-date contemporary theologians. It would, it would make it more relevant. Well, honestly, the reason I use a lot of the older theologians is because I'm skeptical of many of the newer ones. There are some contemporary speakers, writers, preachers who I thought were solid, and back in the day they were. But in recent years, they've gone off the rails trying to become more relevant to the world. Then John says, this is the second part of the command, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. The word test is dokimazo. It's a word in Greek taken out of metallurgy. 
where metal was tested, analyzed, evaluated as to its value. It was put through the fire. Put everything through the fire. Everything that you hear, all the teachings that you receive, put it through the fire. Put everything to the test. Don't be gullible. Folks, even the gifts of the Spirit can be and have been duplicated, have been imitated by evil spirits. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also chapter 14, Paul is trying to bring some order to the abuse of gifts. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. They may have been mute idols because they couldn't actually speak. They're made of stone, metal, uh, wood. But there were demonic forces behind them leading them astray. He says in verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week when we look at how to test. But the point for this morning is that Paul was differentiating what the Holy Spirit says over against what demonic spirits will admit to or will say. And he's making a connection to spiritual giftings. He's not saying spiritual gifts are not good. He's saying you need to test, see where they're coming from. Folks, it's the Holy Spirit himself through John that tells us to test every, every spirit. That would include himself. Test him. He doesn't have a problem with that. He doesn't mind the testing because there is a standard up against which they are to be tested. And the standard is what? It's the Bible. It's God's Word. Measuring whatever is being claimed to be truth from God up against what we know God has said. Why do we have to do this? Because there is, and this is our second point, a need for testing. There's a need for testing. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God because, and here's the need, many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's a big problem. It's a huge problem. And listen, in our society, Satan doesn't want to be seen as the opposition to the Christian church. Have you ever thought about that? Because then people will reject him very quickly and very strongly. He wants to be confused with the Christian church. Much easier. He doesn't want to come out as anti-Christian. He wants to come out as pro-Christ. Jesus loves you. Do whatever you want. He comes out as pro. And how does he do that? He, he redefines terms and begins to twist theology. What does Jesus loves you mean today? He loves you as you are and you don't have to change. What does acceptance mean? What does tolerance mean? What does, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it mean? Health, wealth, prosperity? People want to focus on love and grace and acceptance. Wonderful, wonderful topics, wonderful theological issues. But don't talk about obedience. Don't talk about life transformation and change. John says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. A false prophet is a mouthpiece, folks, for seducing spirits. A spreader of doctrines of demons, John talks about, James. It's the origin of someone's truth that should concern us. Where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? People can't have their own truth. That's why we have to be so discerning. Paul addresses this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
starting in verse 20, do not treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, don't reject, don't, don't simply just reject everything, but test them all, he says. Hold on to what is good. Hold on to what is right. Hold on to what aligns with Scripture. And he says, reject every kind of evil. I came across the title of a book the other day. I haven't read it yet. I'd like to. But I like the title. When the church loses the will to discern. When the church loses the will to discern. That's where we are today. People don't want to discern because they don't want to say anybody's wrong, right? Can't do that anymore. It makes feel, people feel bad. In fact, the church today in general is so busy affirming that they are failing in discerning. The church as a whole is so busy affirming that they are failing in discerning. That's a huge problem, and they are going to be answerable to it. Even Jesus, perhaps most importantly, Jesus, said back in Matthew chapter 7, watch out for, actually the word he used is even stronger, beware, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. What's sheep's clothing? It's wool. Wool was often the garment of prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They, they, they look like the real thing. They talk a good game. They, it sounds good. They can pull on your heartstrings, and they can even use some scripture like Satan did to make their deceptive doctrine sound so spiritual and, and so loving. But this is the case that just because it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's not a duck. In fact, Jesus says, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. They're ferocious wolves. Christians need to be discerning. We need to be discerning. Test every spirit. Test every teaching. Test every doctrine because these false prophets are everywhere. Subtle, clever, deceptive, the enemies of the truth and inspired by the demonic and masquerading as angels of light. So how do we test? Next week. Come on back. Three points. I'll give you the three points. Do they believe in the incarnation? Do they confess Jesus Christ? Do they give evidence of a new transformed life? And do they submit to divine revelation? Do they submit to God's word? We call that a truth encounter. And what did Jesus say about the truth? The truth, which he is, will set you free. So let's guard our hearts with the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning... This is uncomfortable territory. We don't like to talk about that stuff. It's much more comfortable to talk about love and grace and peace and mercy. All wonderful topics. But we do have an enemy, a ferocious enemy, using people to push his agenda, to to push his lies, calling it truth. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to guard our hearts, guard our minds. That comes from being in your word, understanding and knowing your word and trusting your word that it never changes. It's always the truth. And anything that comes against it has got to be from the enemy. 
So, Father, I pray that this will be something that we will use in our entire life, not just on Sundays in church when we agree with this, but in every aspect of our lives. I pray that we will be discerning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us that discernment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.